Today, we answer questions like, why is my app so buggy and what can I do about it? Or why can't developers just test their own code? That's right, we'll take an in-depth look at quality assurance or QA, when you need it, how it works, and how to do it right. Our guest is David Burns, head of open source at Browser Stack, probably one of the most popular platforms to test your website or app in different browsers, and definitely the person to talk all things QA to. Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. David, welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. How does one get into QA, or how, how did that happen with you in this case? The way I got into QA was uh, I finished university. I was kind of burnt out on kind of computer science. I had a really bad computer science teacher through my final year of university. I was like, well, I don't want to work in this industry if people are going to be like that. But I was studying uh, industrial psychology at the same time because like people interest me, the way they think, the way they do things. And putting computers and people together is always a fascinating thing. And so like back then, there wasn't really the concept that I knew of, of like uh, UX, which I think I probably would have gone into. Uh, but I went into what I thought was the next best thing, which is kind of process re-engineering and then got bored of that because I was working at a bank and um, I highly recommend people don't work at banks because like it can be soul, soul sucking, to be honest. Um, and then went and worked at a startup creating, like starting a QA because of all the things I learned at a bank, my industrial psychology, I was like, I know how people think, I know how to break things. Let's go do that. And at that time, I was also trying to get into automation because of like process re-engineering. How could I automate repetitive tasks? And then I was like, oh, this all just makes sense, right? Like it's just QA, right? Like how do you make things better for automation, which then generally makes things better for people. And it, it just kind of snowballed from there. And suddenly I was in, in QA. I wasn't like this person who was like, oh, I have this like innate ability to find the minutia. Like I don't have that which some QA people have, and they're brilliant at it. Uh, I don't have that, but I was very good at kind of just trying to think like how people would try to do it and then making sure those parts were always really good. Yeah, and and to maybe just uh, step take one step back as well, um, to our audience, QA, quality assurance, what would be your definition of it at this point? What, what is quality assurance? Because I think a lot of people have a lot of different mindsets around that. So I think in general, QA as a term should be shot at the sun and burnt and destroyed. <laughs> like I'm not gonna not gonna lie, right? Like because like if we look at just the pure language of it, right? QA is quality assurance, and there's zero chance that anyone can assure quality. It just can't happen. Because of that, you have these like tumbling things of like, oh, well, why didn't QA catch this? It was like, well, because obviously they were looking at different things, but like, this is not QA's fault, right? The bug was there. It's just, it's a team problem. That's a different thing, but it's not a QA thing. And so for me, QA is just about kind of trying to surface up issues that people might have. They're not always bugs. So like, you know, things might be working, but they might be working in a very like haphazard way or kind of just like, how did someone think this was like how a person would think, right? Like just having that another person just work through your code and do it tends to be what QA is nowadays. And so 
that that's where it's come from um and now it's also kind of got automation engineers it's got like security um a lot of like security engineers will tell you they're not qa but essentially they are qa and we love them the same way as uh developers right like they they find bigger better bugs than a QA engineer generally does, right? And like it's it's this all-encompassing thing of just trying to like surface issues and allow people to have confidence in their code. And so this is where I kind of think like testing tends to be a slightly better term, but then testers have a, a bad rap as well and they kind of tend to be like underpaid in their engineering role. Uh, so when you negotiate, don't use the term tester, essentially QA engineer. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 a software engineer in test, right? Like, and that because then you're a software engineer, and then you can command these things and go like, well, you know, I instead of leaning towards DevOps, I lean towards testing, uh, and, or like, you know, and suddenly, like, that's how, like truthfully, it is um, because like their role is no less than an engineer developing the code, right? Like that that's the the main key of this is that focus on making. The product awesome and if you cut corners or pay less in certain areas like then it's going to come back and haunt you just maybe not in the first six months but later down the line it will yeah 100 uh, and some professional career advice by david right there so you, you you say that qa or maybe call it testing it just means understanding if if whatever we have here piece of software or probably not just software right any any kind of engineering or product to make sure that this is usable and it does what the client or the user wants to do right yeah so what is what is the simplest form of quality assurance or or testing when i have a a small startup i'm just getting started i have some sort of app i want to release what what is the simplest thing I, I can do in a way that's more than just taking a look at, at the code, just opening it up, seemingly works? What system can I employ? I think the simplest way is like if you're a startup, right? Like unless you're one of the few people that's going to do a startup on your own and be successful that way, uh, which is very few, but like they do exist. Generally, it's two or more people and just kind of, getting someone else just to go through your workflow at a high level, like, you know, how would I expect to use this? And they might find little things. And it could be like, this is where kind of like the spectrum of testing becomes huge very quickly, right? Like, because like earlier I said, like you've got your security testers, but you might also have performance testers, people who like their their whole job is just to make sure uh, a website can scale if it's a website, right? And when it scales, that it's not going to be super slow. And so you have all these things, but like, you know, the ability to just click through the process. Like if, if you're creating just your login form just to get people to like, hey, you know, this is our new startup. We're not ready for you yet, but let us know. And like just getting them to do that sign up. Does that sign up make sense, right? Like just doing that. Uh, and then, then from there, it's how repetitive is the testing going to be? So are you going to be doing this? Like, you you know, you want to have your CI, CD pipeline. Like every time you make a change, it's going to push it out into production. How could you get that confidence? And then it's, it's all about trying to find like where that confidence where you want to be and what are your confidence markers that like well, I call them confidence markers that you want to hit, right? So like if I press push to like get or to Mercurial, 
what steps need to go to it and to get to the end. And I think it's it builds and builds and builds every time. And so suddenly, like, you know, you get these highly complex processes, but it gives you that confidence, right? Like the whole point of testing or QA is giving your product confidence that when it goes out to your customers, you're not going to look like an ass, right? Like that is the, the biggest thing. Like, because the minute you put out something there and it loses users, Getting those users back is really expensive, right? Like this is why, like if you want to move from one telephone company to another, they will try just give you discounts than losing you because getting you back is going to cost you way more in the long term. And the same concept should be there for for softwares, but I don't think people realize that very very much. So you, you're saying that obviously the more confidence I want to have, the more processes I need and the more complex everything is. And probably what I need depends on, on you know, firstly, probably how many users I have, what is at stake, but secondly, also how bad would a bug be, right? Is this, is this I don't know, a calculator app or a to-do app, or is this like banking software, right? How, how bad is a bug, I suppose? Or is this uh, software that runs in planes. I don't know, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, kind of, you know, if the way software is developed at NASA is very different to the way software is developed at uh, a bank, which is very different to software that's being developed by a little startup that, like, people are using, right? Like, because, like, you have different ways of creating the test. So like, um, like in NASA, they can't afford anything to fail because like a failure is like a hundred million dollars to them. Like potentially, you know, if you look at the James Webb telescope, like a failure up there is tons of money and they can't afford that. So they got to test, 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 test. And they'll be testing like at different levels. So there's a concept called the test pyramid. And it breaks down the types of tests that you want. So like you would have like a unit test or a small test. Then you would have an integration test. So two two components speaking to each other. Do they make sense? And then you might have end-to-end tests. And uh, it's a pyramid because like you want loads of the small unit tests and you want very few end-to-end tests because the end-to-end tests can become flaky and they can cause other problems. But you want to know all of that. But that pyramid is the same if you work at NASA, a bank, or a startup. It's just depending like how much you do at each level or what you do at each level uh, changes kind of in the context that you're working. Mm-hmm. So a unit test, essentially you test a particular unit thing or functionality, whereas an integration test, and make sure everything works well together. And the end-to-end test then really is an entire user flow. And I do that less often because it obviously takes more time, but probably before each release, right? To just go through everything. Yeah. The thing is, it depends on how, again, how you set up, right? Like, oh, sure. So like if you've got your awesome super-duper CI CD pipeline that's like all bells and whistles, you might throw it in there for every release. But if you don't, it, like you might not have that end-to-end test as an automated test. You might do that as a user. And then it's like, it's done all your in, u- units and integration tests pushed to a, like a staging server, which you then manually test through your end-to-end. And if that's all good, they, there's another button that then pushes it out to infrastructure. And then how that happens can be like this. Again, it's a, it's a spectrum depending on what type of company and what scale you're working at. 
Okay, so we've become quite complex with this already. Uh, let's get back to like the simplest, simplest, simplest steps. So obviously we have manual testing. This is like done by a human. We're just testing if if stuff works, right? So um, QA as someone who goes through the app and sees if things break. So is there is is it really just going through the app or is there like a system behind it that's being created for these tests? How does that like the simplest form of manual testing look? Is there like a, a, a to-do list or a framework? Yeah, so I think kind of this is where if you have good UX, like you shouldn't necessarily need a framework in your app, right? So like manual testers or kind of they, they're more commonly known as exploratory testers, right? Like their whole point is just exploring the app, trying to use it as a user would. And as they're going along, they'll be making notes, uh, going, right, I've done this, done this, drawing things. So like if you've got a, I don't know, email marketing software, you want to be able to design your email. Can I do that? Can I change things to bold? Whatever, right? Like you suddenly got a whole um, WYSIWYG type system there and can they use that and so there they could have test cases um, and like if you're outsourcing a lot of companies will have a test case management system where it's like oh i've passed this on to the outsourcers i know that they need to do this 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 and this and then people will just make sure it's there but then you'll also get people who like i say who are exploratory so not less of the mechanical Turk side of things, but are actually just testing it, trying. And so they'll go like, I did this, but this button then took three seconds to load. That seems a bit slow, right? And you wouldn't catch them in automation, but like an exploratory tester would like be able to spot those because it, like it requires a certain amount of thinking. And if you're going for the mechanical Turk, it's like, yes, this is correct. This, I can do all these things, but it, it's, it's not fun, but I can do all of them, right? Like you're not going to get that. So the the two types essentially being one, I have a list of just things I have to try. It's it's the, the test cases, right? And uh, which ensures kind of uh, repeatability of these tests that we, we try everything that we need to try. We, we have a checklist that we can go through versus the exploratory where it's more like, okay, trying to understand what a user would do and maybe find new things nobody's thought of. Okay, awesome. And um, now that we that we have that, the question is, why don't developers do that, right? We actually get that a lot. Why don't developers just test their app? They're developing it. They they are supposed to understand that anyway, or 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 not. I think for the most part, people. This is a project management problem, partly, and then there's a cognitive bias problem on top of that. So there's a project management problem in that an engineer will be like, I'm setting out my sprint is going to take me two days to do this feature, two days to do this. Um, I need another two days to fix that bug uh, and five days to do the last thing, whatever. And I'm, I'm hoping that my 11 days I can do in 10, kind of, which is generally what uh, like a lot of sprints tend to be like. Nowhere in that point has anyone gone, right, like, in your estimates, are you making sure you, you've got time for testing that? If you've tested it, what happens? But Because what generally happens is they'll kind of, this is my feature, go into testing. The bug, bugs that come out of it will go into the next sprint, right? And so there's this kind of problem, project management problem that kind of rears up. And it's kind of like, this is partly why... Uh, 
in a lot of like large tech companies, they don't tend to do like scrum and things like that. It's like your feature needs to be done and like they will, and part of that process is that they might do kind of sprints, but it's like, you know, it's like fill the sprint is this set of features before we release, not this must be done within this time frame. The other side of it is the the kind of there's a cognitive bias, right? Like they are testing it when they're doing it because no one wants to come across as putting out bad code or like poor low quality things that they've been work working on, right? Like no one ever wants to do that. So the, there's no that it's not that they're not testing it; it's that they've got their time squeezed a little bit, and then when they do test it, they're going to be testing for what they think should be there. Because like what I think and what you think, even if we have the same problem, they're going to be two different things. Uh, they might be very similar, but they are going to be slight. They are going to be different. So it's like, you know, if I asked you to write a, a 10 word sentence on something and we said the same, like, and we both knew the same topic and we both had the same skills and everything, the chances of us getting the same 10 words are zero, right? It's just not going to happen. It's the same with, um, like developers, they they will do these things, but the way uh, a QA person or just someone else, like it could be a product manager, don't, you don't necessarily need QA. Like you could get your product manager just helping out with the QA side or getting uh, other developers working on it. But it's it's kind of that side of things, and that's where I think kind of developers start to fail. They don't they're not actually failing, right? Like bugs are just they're accidents, and I th I think a lot of people put too much pressure on developers like you know like oh it's your fault this is why we've lost this it's like well there's an honest mis mistake i wouldn't want that but yeah right and that makes a lot of sense because on one side it's like the second pair of eyes right it, it puts a bit of teamwork into it of like hey uh let's think this through together does this make sense right which one person on their own it's like there's no point of thinking about that again, I've already thought about it. This is what I thought, I, this is what I came up with, right? And secondly, the question is, is it a documentation problem then really? It's not well-defined enough, but then again, how well do you want to define things, right? And uh, isn't it better to sometimes catch things like with a second pair of eyes? And, and, and so it's, it's interesting from a systematic level as well. Okay, so that's that's cool. And probably also, um, if you have a lot of manual test cases that you're going through, you just don't want a developer to spend kind of an entire day testing an application, probably if you do it manually. If you do it manually. Being yeah, the key if part. you do it manually. Exactly. But speaking of which, we have these these manual test cases now, right? A lot of them. We have a lot to test. We've, we have a bit more mature application, more users a grown code base, right? People are really busy doing these tests or sometimes just don't do them. We get a release, you know, it's pressure. It's Friday, as always, Friday, 6 p.m., right? So the question is, well, can't we automate this, right? So the question is, what can you automate? Can you automate all of the tests? Do you, do you still need manual QA? How does that work? So you can never get rid of manual QA. Like, I, and I've seen a lot of companies go, yes, I can. And then like earlier, I was saying the example of like I clicked a button, but it took three seconds for something to happen, right? Like automation is never going to catch those kind of cognitive types of tests. But yes, you should be automating it. Uh, automate, but and automation should be happening as early in the process as possible. 
And so it doesn't necessarily need to be the developer. Obviously, a developer should be doing at least unit tests. Um, ideally, they should be doing unit and integration tests. And if there are automation, uh, like end-to-end automated tests and something they've done has broken them, they should fix those. They could also be writing the end-to-end tests, right? Like any, anyone should be doing that. But like the, there should be a belief that quality is everyone's job throughout the team, right? Like from your VP of engineering down to kind of who, like whoever's at the bottom, right? Like quality of that product is everyone's job. And so everyone should be writing some automation at some point. Uh, so it could be like if you're at an outsourced company, uh, you might have business analysts. They could be writing kind of the business specs. Um, those could be like turned into behavioral driven development tests with like so BDD. Um, and you can use tools like Cucumber and things like that if you, that's your way of doing it. But like, it, like you can start building these bits out and then suddenly like it just fits into the narratives of like, oh, it must do, if I have this, then this, then that, right? And you can build out your automation very quickly and still hit those quality markers. And then if you don't have an exploratory tester, like I said earlier, you could have your product manager just kind of just going through it very quickly with a fine tooth comb before a release going, yeah, this is cool. Or it's been released and they've just like, like everyone should then be trying to use it if you have a product that your company could use. You know, Microsoft uh, famously brought up the idea of dog feeding, right? Like the idea that you must use your own product and make sure it's better. And they do that quite a lot in a lot of companies. So kind of Google make people use Google Chrome um, and Android devices. And and so then everyone gets to use these products and they can find the problems quicker that way. So it's not always necessarily about exploratory testers, but like at least having people in the company using the tool. That's a good one. That makes a lot of sense. So you, you just mentioned BDD. Can you explain what that is and also what TDD is? BDD is behavioral driven development. Uh, so it's kind of like a business analyst would write it. Um, and so TDD is very similar, but it's uh, so TDD is test driven development. And in both cases, you're kind of writing a test before you write any development. And so possibly because I've been in the industry for far too long, uh, like I don't, I never trust a test until I've seen it fail. And the idea with BDD and TDD is that you create a failing test and then you write code to fix it. And that way you know that like, if it's supposed to do step one, step two, step three, that those points are hit and that someone can do those things. And so BDD tends to be like more integration level or end-to-end where test-driven development can be everything. And BDD is like, has a specified format around like, I think it's kind of like, as a user, I want to do this and this where test-driven development be like, here's my test and I've written it and it could be a unit test, it could be integration test or end-to-end test. And then you start backfilling code to make sure that it's working as intended. Oh, that's cool. So in, in, in normal development, I write like documentation, right? I say, okay, I need this button and it's supposed to do this. Then a developer implements it and then they or someone writes a test to cover this functionality versus test-driven development would be, I first write the test, obviously the button's not there, nothing's there, so it fails. But then the developer's job is essentially to write code to make the test come true and and, and, and to make the test uh, work. Exactly. That's interesting. That's great. Another question that we see quite often is, 
around, I'm not sure if I want to call it success metrics of QA to, to put it on a, on a, on a systematic level like that, but how to understand whether, no, I don't want to say QA is doing a good job, but generally whether, whether the process is working, because obviously you know, you've said, you know, bugs are normal, right? It's neither the dev's fault nor the QA's fault. It's just, it just keeps happening. But then what is normal or how do I know that, that something is actually off the rails and we probably need to see as a team how we can do better versus what is totally normal and, and these are just things that happen. Yeah, so I, I think kind of like people should always be measuring the influx of bugs. And so there are multiple ways that you can do this, right? So like the the main kind of term that's being used at the moment is around observability. Uh, so kind of how do you add in observability into your application so that like you can see that like observability is this um, tool like uh, honeycomb.io is really pushing it at the moment. There are others and it's, it's all open source, uh, like open telemetry. And it's the ability to kind of track your application while it is live. Uh, and then you can start seeing live error reporting and you can see kind of the, the difference between kind of like what New Relic do, because they're now starting to support open telemetry and what open telemetry's goal was, is that you can kind of see proper workflows better rather than kind of certain areas of your application. And so you can track the error rates, right? Obviously you should always have low error rates because that's, and that is again, a quality point. Like you say, you want that because if you have high, high errors, then that's going to come to users. Users are going to be upset. They're going to leave. And they can, you can also track performance and stuff like that. The other thing is kind of the, the usual ways. Um, and my brain's failing with it, but kind of like CSAT and what's the other one where you kind of just like, it, my brain's not working, but it's, it, you know, like you tell people, are you happy using this? And then you score it and you want all your nines uh, and tens. Yeah. Nines and tens. Exactly. And so you want to be tracking all of those things. And that's what pr product managers are very good at and what they track because like they want to see that, uh, CSAT, uh, like what we were using around like documentation. Like, has this page actually been useful to you? Yes or no? And NPS. NPS. That's it. Yes. I, 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 <laughs> I was on the tip of my tongue and I just couldn't get it out. But yeah, NPS, right? Like, <laughs> I had to Google it as well. Yeah, MPS has its problems, don't get me wrong, but it, it, it gives you a direction of where things are going, right? Like in a lot of these things, you want to be checking trends over time rather than specific things. And then you obviously want to have good like telemetry coming out of your system so that like the way you take money from customers, if that suddenly stops working, because you can't always test that like in, in any of the systems, but you'll see very quickly if suddenly there are no, there's no money coming in. That's where good like telemetry could spot out. And I think kind of the Guardian newspaper uh, in the UK tends, that's what they do. Uh, if memory serves is like they have good automated tests around generally, but they have zero tests around how they get subscribers and the main thing is they have brilliant telemetry so like if they see subscribers like they they know roughly where subscribers should be at any point during the day and if it suddenly goes to zero very quickly they roll back the whole system and then uh start it like and then find out what what is the cause ah uh, that's interesting actually so like a more more actually being able to look at real-time data and, and and figuring out from that and where it should be 
huh, if, if something's going is, is wrong with my application. Uh, that's also very, very cool. Yeah, open telemetry is awesome. Charity Majors, who's the CTO of Honeycomb, tends to pull out these little tidbits of kind of very good observability. Um, and her principal engineer is uh, Liz Fong, I think. Liz the Grey on Twitter, uh, she's awesome. Uh, and so they put out all these like really good ideas of what you should be doing around SRE to improve quality, not necessarily just about SRE, but like how to make sure that your quality is up there. Uh, because like I said earlier, quality is everyone's job, like from your DevOps, your engineers, your VP, right? Like it, everyone needs to be involved. 100%. Well, obviously, you need a bit of data in order for that to work. So at, at a larger scale, that's that's a cool thing. Yeah, probably in the beginning, got to stick to manual, manually going through it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like this, it's it, everything is a spectrum. And while I like, you know, with the I, I, at the beginning, I kind of said, like, you know, depending on how your CI CD pipeline is, it could be a literally like you've pushed to like, say github if you're using github and from there it's like oh everything's works because you might be using like circle ci travis ci or github actions uh just to do those little tests and then like you might have something like heroku where it's just like oh i need to do a git push to heroku now to get my my application right that that could be a ci cd pipeline right like it's even if it's just on your machine because you're a starter to kind of like I've pressed this thing and like now it's rolled out to like 10% of my infrastructure while it starts gathering information and then we'll automatically roll it out if there are no errors, like, you know, how Google and Facebook do it uh, to kind of then like, oh, how do we make sure that it gets to like 20,000 servers super quick? And it's like, oh, how could we like repurpose BitTorrent? I think that's how Twitter did it. <laughs> like. <laughs> so yeah it's 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 all the scale depending on where you want to be but it's a like it's it's generally around maturity and how can you be more mature as a company and you don't need to hit all these markers from the start right like i think a lot of people get that wrong it's just like you need to slowly build your mvp out and then quality and security and privacy should all be part of that as you're doing it right hundred percent. Well, this has been super, super insightful. Thank you so much for that. Where can people learn more about yourself? So I have my personal website, which is uh, www.theautomatedtester.co.uk. Um, I generally put out a few bits and pieces there. I'm at Automated Tester on Twitter and Mastodon and kind of other places. So if you want to follow me there. I generally talk about everything from kind of politics to uh, tech to sports. So kind of I do it all on social media. I don't do just one thing. And the other thing is like, because I'm head of open source at BrowserStack, um, my role at BrowserStack is just being part of the open source communities that are important to kind of our customers. So testing communities. So you'll generally find me in one or other Slack related to those types of things. And I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to kind of talk about like automation and things like that. So you can just hit me up on one of those. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks again. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been a really great one and uh, speak to you soon. Awesome. Thank you. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, 
match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way, so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.